2: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. front and center this hour, the slide in stocks, whether your money is about to get a big reality check in the weeks ahead. We discuss, debate that with our investment committee on this Friday. Jim Labenthal is with us, along with Steve Weiss, Jenny Harrington, the CEO and Portfolio Manager at Gilman Hill Asset Management. Degas Wright is the chief investment officer of Decatur Capital Management. And Shannon Sakosha, chief investment officer at Boston Private Wealth. Let's go to the wall, show you where stocks are trading at high noon here in the east. Dow is down by 85 or so points. Intel, IBM, the obvious ways there. S&P is negative by a smidge, as is the NASDAQ, as is the Russell as well. So you get the picture about where we are. The idea of what we're looking at today is, though, is the market about to get a reality check? Okay, valuations, high. Stimulus efforts from President Biden already getting some pushback from Republicans. Higher taxes. Are they on the horizon? You've got vaccine issues as well. That's sort of the backdrop, gang, of what we're looking at right now. When I look at the notes today, Degas, market frothy, prepared for a pullback. Shannon, pullback. Jenny, pullback. Needs to be a pause. Jim Labenthal, markets overbought, expecting a correction any day now. Steve Weiss, though, you're staying long. You're bucking this trend a little bit, huh?
3: Well, I don't know that a buck me a trend. I've been consistently saying that a 5 or 10% pullback wouldn't bother me. But what am I going to do? Sell stocks where you have huge gains? Because I think, I think a pullback's coming. My advice is focus on your stocks, ignore the markets, stay with fundamentally sound companies, and you'll be fine. Let's just go through some of the alleged headwinds that you mentioned. Tax increases, they're going to hurt the economy, they're going to hurt the market. It's a fraud. That's not true. Look at the tax increase since 1950. The market's gone up in every single year, except when there was also a strong, a long rate rise in 70, 71. Biden, now he's not going to get anything done. Now, now they're pushing back from the GOP. What was it in November? November was, oh, We like a Congress that's at a stalemate. That's when markets do best. So you can take all this information, these isolated viewpoints, and say, oh, this is terrible. Forget strategists. They don't make you money. They sit in the fence. If this happens, then that'll happen. Just stay long, quality stocks. You want to trade around them? If they go too far up, shave a little. If they go too far down, add some. But that should be your playbook. Nobody's ever seen this before. The old pages don't make any sense in this environment. So yes, I'm staying long.
2: Okay, Jim Labenthal, you heard it from Weiss. You think the market's overbought? You're ready for a correction, as you say it any day now.
1: Uh, I'm going to stick with that, Steve. You sound a little angry, but uh, I'm going to be a little calmer than that, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to say, at you, Jim, um, that. <laughs> You're never angry at me. But look, I've sold some stocks recently, Caterpillar and Winnebago. With those proceeds, I've looked at the environment and I've asked myself, do I want to buy either the market or individual stocks right now? And the answer is no. I want to just be patient and sit. Now, when we talk about froth or toppiness, here are some of the things I look at. Margin debt is going higher. Equity inflows are really picking up uh, into mutual funds and ETFs. Uh, Sentiment surveys are turning very bullish, not just a little bullish, very bullish. These are all signs of of a market top. That doesn't mean we're going to have a crash. You've got to, on the other side, look at the power of the Federal Reserve. Look at fiscal stimulus, which is coming and increasing, and look at the vaccines, and say to yourself, if you're me with about 12% of cash, If I see the markets pull back a good 9%, I'm not going to wait any longer than that. That's kind of the maximum drawdown that I'm looking at here. So I'm not predicting calamity. I just look at the sentiment indicators. And let me give you one key example here, okay? You can go on TikTok and find 20-something-year-olds working from home telling us how to trade stocks, or Lindsay Lohan telling us to buy Bitcoin. And i got to tell you, it reminds me of a century ago, Joe Kennedy saying, I got out of the market when my shoeshine uh, kid was telling me stock tips. I see a little bit of that right now. So I'm just going to be patient.
2: Maybe, Shannon, it's just best to look at the big picture, right? Stop trying to figure out, okay, the market seems overbought, market seems frothy, and just focus on what Rick Reeder told us yesterday of managing trillions of dollars for BlackRock. Let's listen to Mr. Reader. We can talk about it on the other side. It's good context for this conversation.
4: I think you could still get, a, you know, an 8 to
5: 12% return in equities. But, I, boy, I, I'd, you know, I, uh, listen, I think, the, I think the, uh, the tail risk is higher. Um, but, like I say, not to say you can't pull back first, but I think, I think the tail risk is we're going to have higher returns in equities. You know, like, like we've had last couple of years, you know, when you had incredible monetary stimulus? Probably not. But but we, I still think there's upside.
2: All right, Shan, pretty optimistic view from Mr. Reeder.
0: Well, I think this is all about the probability of these different events occurring, right? We're talking about the probability that the market will go higher versus on a longer term basis, um, rather than going lower on a longer term basis. The likelihood that the uh, yield curve will continue to steepen versus uh, flatten over the course of the next year. And I think that when you put it in that big picture perspective, you can't overstate the importance of some of the additional transparency that's coming into the market now. We know that vaccine dissemination is not going well. We know that we don't have all of the data on the new variants of COVID 19 that the CDC is looking into. We're going to get more transparency, and that may actually create. Some additional consternation or concern in the market, but in the end that doesn 't change the narrative for the back half of the year, which is you know the tailwinds that Jim started talking about the Federal reserve, um, some of this fiscal spend i don 't know exactly how much fiscal spend we 're going to get um, i don 't know what that 's going to look like, but it 's going to be positive for the economy and so when you think about this nearer term pullback, does it feel frothy? Sure does, based on current valuations. But there's a story here. There's improving earnings. There's improving economic data that's on the horizon. This next six to eight weeks, we saw it in Europe this morning. We're going to get disappointing economic data. You have to think about the longer term and making sure that you like what you own for the second half of this year.
2: But, Jenny, Weiss says no stimulus, right, I'm going to do a little math here. No stimulus plus higher taxes (laughs) equals higher market. That's what he said. That's what Steve Weiss said, that it it doesn't matter because the market was already ready for, for some gridlock. Um, we, you know, OK, maybe you get higher, a little bit higher taxes. Maybe you don't get stimulus. I, d- I don't know. Weiss says it doesn't matter.
6: I, th- I think Weiss is probably right. I don't know that that matters that much. What matters is that we have a sound economy with excellent companies that are pumping out strong earnings. If we go back to something Rick Reeder said, which is kind of that 8 to 12 percent return expectation for the year, we're three weeks in and the market's at a 2.5% return already. So at that rate, it would suggest the market would be up close to 40%. We have to take a pause. I have actually come out in between Jim and Weiss on this, which is, which is like Jim. I sold one of my core positions a couple weeks ago, and I'm sitting on that cash overall like Weiss, I am still chipping away. I am still completely long, right? A little bit of cash, but I am chipping away at the high quality companies that are in my portfolio and adding to them at the margin, not initiating a huge new position. So I think you just, you know, you take it at the more micro, at the more bottom up portfolio management level right now. I'm not sure that the broad brushstrokes are going to work. Also, one other thing on the stimulus, you've got You've got the positive potential stimulus, but then you've got the offset of tapering in 2022. Those are going to be conflicting forces. So that's where I think Weiss is right. Look past that. Look at the companies. Look at what's in your portfolio. But this, look, at, look at valuations.
2: But, but Degas, yeah, this, this is a big mm-hmm. picture issue here. I mean, if you don't get stimulus, OK, and you do get higher taxes, you're telling me the market's not going to care at all about that, Degas? Well, Scott, you know, what,
5: we're going to talk, what I look at is that if you're getting out the market or you're retiring in six months, one of the things you can do is put on some protection. If you're really concerned about the next six months, and, and our forecast says that market will, may pull back in the next six months, you can put, some put protection there, go long puts. You can even write calls to generate some income to pay for the cost of this insurance. Now, if you're going to be in the market longer than the six months, and that's what most of our clients will be in market longer than six months. Then you look at the long term. And I agree with you know, Steve and, and Jim and other, uh, Shannon and, and, and Jenny, that I feel that the market is going to be up at the end of this year. So you want to look at what stocks you're going to buy. You want to start selecting stocks. Don't focus on the sectors. Select okay. individual stocks that are quality that you'll do well in.
2: Oh, okay. So, I mean, when you said select individual stocks, um, I was going to pivot to Intel. um, But then you added individual stocks that are quality, and that made me want to second guess myself because Intel is having its worst day since, uh, you know, middle of December. It has its earnings report. Jenny, you own it. So what's your takeaway from Intel uh, when the stock's getting hammered pretty well?
6: Well, first of all, it might be the worst day, but it's also at 14% year-to-date, 18% in the last three months. That 14% year-to-date is way ahead of the market. So, in, well, so a lot of well, what Intel reported last night. Let me just pause, okay.
2: you. Me just pause you for two seconds because, <laughs> okay, the reason why that stock is up in the period in which it is is because they did have that little thing called a management uh, restructuring where they changed CEOs and the stock got a huge amount of that pop in that single day. So that... You know, doesn't really tell the big story about what this company is.
6: Okay, but the second line in the press release that had to do with the management restructuring also said. And we expect to be ahead of our already revised up guidance. So what happened yesterday was they reported $5.34 for the year of earnings. That was well ahead of analyst expectations of $4.90. In the call yesterday, they also said that the seven nan um, processing uh, production problems are are fixed or on the way to being fixed. There's a lot of positive that's come out. It's not just the new CEO, right? The guy's only been announced for a week and a half. There are positive things that are happening there. So it's not just that that's driven the stock up. So it's the fact that Intel actually gained market share in the PC space over the last okay, year. Here's what it the, was written off last year.
2: Mm-hmm. Here's what the number one ranked analyst, Stacey Rascon of Bernstein, had to say on Intel, speaking directly to what some of what you're saying and some of what the new CEO, Mr. Gelsinger, had to say, which you found um, somewhat hopeful. He says, quote, the bull case here remains, quote unquote, cheap hope. Mr. Gelsinger definitely brings some hope, but we can't help but think he would probably have been better off saying nothing at all at this point, uh, which he had a free pass to do. While it's probably good that he is eager to get into the job, it also means his honeymoon period is likely already over even before it begins. Okay, so what do you think so of that? So I
6: think, I think Stacy's. Yeah, Stacy's dug in too hard on his bare case scenario, and I think he's kind of talking out of both sides of his mouth. On the one hand, he was predicting a dollar ten of earnings for this quarter. They came in at a dollar fifty two, so he was flat out wrong on that. Meanwhile, he's still so negative. But he actually, in that same report, increased his expectations for next year by 17 percent. That's significant. The flip side is the Cowan analyst, who increased his price target to $70 a share. And what he says is something much more basic, much more taking a step back, which is just this is a huge company that produces $21 billion in free cash flow, $22 billion in earnings, and it trades at a over 50 percent discount to peers. That valuation gap needs to, needs to close. So you have both sides of the story. That's what makes a market. I'm way more. Are on the positive side of the cowan perspective than on stacy ragson's side
2: okay so weiss you know somebody on twitter says yeah intel definitely had a great report um but it was a great report for amd it wasn't such a great report for intel what do you think about this stock here
3: look to me the stock's going to bounce because they all bounce you got a new ceo coming in he should if he's smart and he's supposed to be smart um kitchen sink the next quarter, start it really clean. He's got a chance to do it. But this was actually a better report for, for Taiwan Semi, TSM, than it was for AMD, because they say they're going to outsource. So we've had virtually every large tech company say they're going to outsource. And who are they outsourcing to? Taiwan Semi. Intel is not going to catch up to Taiwan Semi or the other market leaders in our investment lifetime. It's just not. Give up the ghost. Move on to something else. Find some growth. Don't find damaged goods that you're hoping will improve. The culture is cut and dried. It's there. It's staying there. Well,
2: I have to let you respond to that, Jenny. I don't, I don't know if Weiss is speaking Thanks. directly to you, but he is certainly speaking to optimistic <laughs> investors who are trying to stay the course. He talks about kitchen sink. Wall Street seems to be throwing this thing in the disposal.
6: I think we need to be really careful when we use the word growth. If we're talking about earnings growth and the pace of earnings growth or the potential for capital appreciation and the share price and so growth in the stock price, if you look at, say, NVIDIA, that's trading at, I believe, over 70 times earnings, it is hard to make an argument for that going from 70 times to 100 times in the next year. It is easy to make an argument for Intel to go from its current low teens to a few multiple points higher at that rate. Intel would have higher growth than its competitors on the share price. That's what I'm looking at. And I think that that's really possible and potential. And, by the way, I'm going to reiterate, they gained market share in the PC space during last year. That's significant. They, they, they're the eighth largest contributor to S&P earnings. This is a company that's really big and a major competitor, and we shouldn't underrate that. Okay. Particularly let's, with savvy new leadership coming in.
2: Let's pivot then to IBM, which is having issues of its own. <laughs> I mentioned it's one of the principal drags on the Dow, right? Without IBM and Intel, Dow would be positive. IBM's on pace for its worst day since March 12th. No real EPS guidance. They got that searing question from Tony Sakinagi of Bernstein about whether they've missed the cloud altogether. There's the stock today. It's down 10%. What makes it most interesting to me is that, Degas, you bought IBM yesterday. Jenny, you bought more today. Shannon, you own it. Degas, though, you get the first crack at the ball on this one because you bought it yesterday. What are you thinking today?
5: Well, I think I I made a really good uh, decision long term, and that's what we're looking at. This uh, stock is in our quality dividend strategy. So, one, we're looking at the dividend, 5-plus percent dividend yield. Now, let's look at the business model for IBM. IBM has spun off the infrastructure the uh, hardware, they've spun that off. Now they're also uh, did the re- recent acquisition of Red Hat. So that's going to put them on that hybrid uh, cloud platform. And so they'll be able to do enterprise. So that's a growth area in the cloud. And so also IBM actually leads in IP. The, the number of patents they issued this year alone oh, in 2020 was over 9,000. So they're leading in intellectual property. Lastly, they're the leader in blockchain technology, and that's a major growth area. So this is a good entry point. Uh, And when it pulls back, we feel long term it's going to continue to uh, cover its dividend. I believe the free cash flow is around 15 billion for 2020. So they'll be able to cover their uh, 5 percent yield on the dividend. And it's a solid business model going forward.
2: Okay, Jenny, I mean, you know, look, even Kramer says, you know, the dividend, okay, I I think it's fine for now, is how he speaks about IBM this morning, as I mentioned, but you bought more today. So make your case for IBM. Does it sound a lot like Intel?
6: Kind of. I think the thing with IBM is, My, the, my investment thesis is based on the fact that they're going to be one of the major AI players in the coming decade, and AI is going to be one of the major technological forces in the coming decade. So I want to be part of that. I've been early. You know, I've owned it for over a year, so I've been early and I've been wrong. But I think when you're a long-term investor, you have to be early, not late. If you're late, you miss the party entirely. So the nice thing about IBM is if you're early, at least you're being paid to wait. But meanwhile, this is another one where there's just a hate fest, right? And that part does echo IBM. They actually, okay, their revenues were down a little. I think they they reported a total of twenty percent $3 billion where they were expected to report $20.6 billion. Meanwhile, nobody's focusing on the fact that earnings came in at $2.07 versus expectations of $1.79. No one's focusing on the fact that they actually increased their margins by 100 basis points. That's significant. This morning I was reading on CNBC.com a great article on the AI players. And here, who are the big AI players? Amazon, Microsoft, Salesforce, IBM. It's a small handful of players who are really significant, and like Intel. It's not winner takes all. There is room for all of these players, and they need to work together. And when you when you listen to IBM's conference call, their clients are State Street, Verizon, Salesforce. They're working with all these firms. They're a real player, and they've been written off for dead. So let's focus on the earnings and the margins instead of on the revenues, and let's focus on the on the decade ahead and the role that they'll play in AI. Well, and I'll happily collect that five and a half I percent you, but, yield. Okay. While I wait. So
2: if you're playing for the yield, right, it's a totally mm-hmm. different story than if. You know, if you're simply looking, Weiss, at the story itself, a stock that we could show the chart again over a year is down. I think it was 18 Mm percent, 17 some odd percent. Uh, So there's the dividend yield, five and a half percent. But you got a stock that's down 18 percent over a year to Jenny and Degas. You say what?
3: I say, let me help you. Let me show you the light. Get out (laughs) of this company. The CEO is going to be replaced within a year when he was appointed a year ago. I said, bad choice. You've got to change the culture of this company. If you look at the board, this is a tech company. You look at the board, there's not one tech person on the board. They got two healthcare. They got a few financial. They got an energy person. Not one person with technology background. How is that possible? The only good thing about this is that the board should have been completely replaced. They replaced about a third of it over the last four years. Dividends don't protect failing companies. That's just the bottom line. So great. It'll it'll take a year to collect your 5% yield, but you gave up 10% in the stock price overnight. They said they're going to focus on AI. What's Watson been over the last 20 years? It's flawed. Look, I tried to do some business with IBM and buy one of their technologies. It was ridiculous. So much red tape, man. You could smother in it.
2: I mean, look, the the other part of this story is that right? The the money is just going elsewhere through the the tech spectrum. Even this week, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Alphabet, all with sizable gains this week. There are these other growth names, if you will, that have done incredibly well over a period of time. The Wayfares, the DoorDashes, the Rokus, the Teladocs, the Teslas, the Fastlys, the DocuSigns, the Twilios, right? I mean, those are the stocks. I make that point, only to suggest that there are more exciting stories that investors seem to be gravitating to, even if everything that Digas and Jenny have said comes to fruition and is correct. You have to change the culture of the investor, too, who looks at what stories are going to be more exciting and make the most money for them in the years ahead. Let's end that segment on that note and welcome our headliner today. He is Chris Heisey. He is the CIO, the chief investment officer at Merrill Bank of America, private banks. Good to see you again. Welcome back. You too, Scott. So we began our show and let's come full circle with you on this idea of what the state of play currently is and a growing number of people who seem to think a correction is imminent. Do you?
4: Well, um, who really knows, actually. But when you look at this seasonality in this part of the market, listening to, to some of the guests there, Um, some people hope there is some sort of a pullback because there's a lot of cash out there to, to reinvest in areas that simply, um, could come down 10% or so as it relates to the frothiness and the sentiment in the market, you know, from our standpoint is, you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but there's a lot of reasons why we're getting ahead of ourselves and pause, uh, in the market is absolutely natural. You know, the stats. Two to three, 5% pullbacks per year, one ten 10% pullback per year on average is what we all expect. And when it comes, if you have cash ready, rebalancing portfolios is all about compounded total return.
2: Maybe it just doesn't come. Maybe there isn't this correction that people think because there's just too much in the system. You, you, you think we're going to get some sort of stimulus, okay? You know what the Fed's already doing. And then the consumer... Money that may come into the system itself through this pent-up demand as it relates to the virus. Maybe the correction never happens.
4: You know, Scott, that's a great point because there's a, there's a word out there or two words called opportunity cost. And if you wait too long for a pause and you're on the sidelines and cash is earning you 0%, that's okay for some. But for those who are looking for a specific target, a specific, specific type of total return for their portfolio, that's a big opportunity cost. And when you have 50 percent of U.S. GDP in the collection of relief, stimulus and liquidity, uh, you know, by June of this year, you're talking about a significant amount of dollars in circulation looking for transactions, not just in the broader economy, but in but in the financial markets as well.
2: So what, what do you make of what Rick Reeder said you know, yesterday on this show as he's you know, he was looking at he's optimistic, obviously, 8 to 12%. Tail risk could take it even higher than that in terms of equity returns for this year. Does that match up with what you're thinking?
4: It, it does, and it, and it does for a variety of reasons. And, and you know, Rick sits on, on top of trillions, and he sits on top of different asset classes, not just one. And that's important because a global asset allocator has to look at the relative trade-off between various assets. That's what we try to do. And when you think about zero cash and you think about longer-dated yields going back up, possibly pressure on fixed income, and then you have a whole cohort of Gen Zs and millennials out there investing for the first time and maturing in their life cycle. Plus, you have a maverick bull market, which is a a bull that runs underneath the index. There's a lot of interesting ideas underneath the index. You're looking at the story that Richter's unfolded.
2: What do you think the biggest risk is? Is it no stimulus? Is it higher taxes? Or is it higher interest rates?
4: You know, I think it goes outside of that. I'll I'll give it to you outside of the virus logistics, which we all pay attention to and is most important. I think the second one is for whatever reason, there's a significant pivot from the Fed back to what the Fed was pre-19, which was a very different Federal Reserve in terms, terms of what they were looking to do. If that pivot happens for whatever reason, they've give us, given us every indication that's not the case. That's number one, because that would signal that we're going to slow growth down, which is what happened in the fourth quarter of '18. Second is taxes. The tax concern is the number one question I get, Scott, after this. When should I get back into the market? We still see investors with a lot of cash. I know the stats that have been presented out there in terms of flows coming into equity markets have been at record levels. But- Let's go back to January 2018. The estimates that we look at in terms of flows outside of stock buybacks, Scott, minus three hundred and eighty billion into equity mutual funds and ETFs combined, positive nine hundred and fifty-seven billion into fixed income. We have a ways to go.
2: I mean, the probability of number one of the Fed being as a Lee Cooperman would say, a more hostile Fed, right? by taking policy back to where it was say in, in, in 19, the probability of that is like nil, right? I mean, the Fed's not yeah. gonna do that in calendar year 2021, is it?
4: That's why it's still the number one risk because when you have close to zero probability on something and then it happens, that's when risks present themselves in a way that, of high magnitude. When we talk about a risk so much, portfolios, at least in many respects at the institutional level, are prepared for that risk. So you get a constrained volatility vice, if you will. Um, Outside of that, you have to look at things that have low probabilities. That's a low probability event. You're right. It's, It's a very low one.
2: Yeah, that would be a surprise for sure. Chris, good to see you as always. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Scott. All right, that's Chris Heisey joining us. Coming up after this quick break, bullish calls today on Ford, Disney, Walmart, all three up more than 20% in a year. We're going to debate how much higher they could go from here. Talk about some new trader moves as well. We'll do that in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn
7: more.
8: Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson says there is some evidence that COVID patients with the new variant have higher mortality rates. However, he says vaccines now in use are effective against both new and old variants. Americans are still driving less than they did before the pandemic. In November, the latest month for which data is there, miles driven were 11% below year-ago levels. Driving was also down slightly from October on a seasonally adjusted basis. The NFL says it will give away 7,500 free Super Bowl tickets to health care workers. thousand other fans will get to see the game in person. All 32 NFL teams will choose recipients of those free tickets. And reactions to Hank Aaron's death are streaming in. Basketball Hall of Famer Irvin Magic Johnson said Aaron paved the way for athletes like him to enter business. Fellow Atlanta Brave Chipper Jones calls Aaron the epitome of class and integrity. You are up to date, Scott. I'll send it back to you.
2: And he was. Sue, thank you. Sue Herrera. All right, let's talk about some of these moves that our investment committee has made. Steve Weiss, I turn to you first. you got out of the gray, uh, graystone Bitcoin, grayscale Bitcoin, excuse me, uh, GBTC. Why did you do that?
3: Well, I, I got in because I was playing momentum. I mean, there's, there's a lot of momentum, certain things in the market. It was always, you know, just trying to capture a trade. I mentioned it was highly speculative. That's what it was. When the momentum took the second hit, uh, I said, OK, I've had enough. Let me get out. It's destruction. I don't believe in Bitcoin. There's no way that it's going to be a currency until the volatility stops. You can't walk into a grocery store with a $100 of Bitcoin in your pocket, and by the time you get to the cash register, it's worth 50. That just doesn't work. So to think that somebody whose name escapes me, who we don't even know exists, invents this whole currency that the world's going to glom onto is absolutely ridiculous. So it'll still go up and down, it'll still be a spec trade, but that's what it is, call it for what it but is.
2: But why, why then are so many notable investors Investing in it?
3: Well, um, because maybe they see a better future for it than I do. And I guarantee it's not the core of their portfolios, with the exception of one. Um, But, you know, it's a great way. Wall Street creates these mechanisms for people to make money off of. And that's what they're trying to do with this. I don't think that Gensler is very pro Bitcoin. We know Janet Yellen isn't. So it's still a long road ahead. I just don't see it. As I said, it's, it's not an asset class to spec. You want to have that, have that. But Chamath is a believer in it. Where's his money? Maybe he's got a fraction in Bitcoin. Let's not overstate that. It's, it's his book that he's pushing, as others are. And I get it. And that's fine.
2: No, I mean, I'm not just I wasn't even really thinking about him. I, you know, there are a lot of other no, very, I know, very, I know. very big names who, who are involved. In it. you're speaking of Gary Gensler, of course, who. Um, the president wants to uh, run the SEC, so, you know, we'll see what holds there. Right. Uh, TTEC Holdings, you bought that.
3: Yep, I did. So that's a new position. I, I've, been, I've known the company for a while. It, it's, not, it's not as old as IBM by any stretch, but it is a growth company. And if you're involved in the web, what they make are customer experience software. So any aspect in the web, but not only the web, if you call up for a bill payment, if, you want to, if you're shopping on the web one day and you look at some shoes, you don't buy them, they'll pop up when you do that search again. So it creates the customer experience. It improves it. It expands it. It's very revenue positive for companies. They're 50,000 employees, about 3.5 billion market cap, and it's growing at about 25% and selling below its average multiple over the last 10 years. So I think this one's a winner.
2: Okay, Jenny, uh, I come to you. Our next one's interesting in the sense that it's Hannon Armstrong, which you just sold. Tiffany told us yesterday she just bought. So, Tiff, I don't know if you're watching, listening or or what have you, uh, but here's Jenny on why she sold what you just bought.
6: Wow. So I originally bought Hannon Armstrong in 2014 for $13 a share. It was great. It kind of moved up to about 21. Then it moved up to about 50, um, which is where it was in the beginning of last year drop back down and then it got chased by the crazy ESG trade who doesn't care about about valuation whatsoever. And here I find it in the mid 60s to 70s. We do a ton of valuation work and there was literally no valuation model that I could come up with that would begin to justify the price that it's at now. So I have a position that's grown like crazy, that no longer has the dividend yield that I need to keep it as part of the portfolio. Prudent portfolio management is sell the the stock. And all I could think of in my head was, I love this company. This company's fantastic, fantastic management. But it got chased up and pigs get slaughtered. And I didn't want to be a pig and keep holding it longer than I should. So I sold that. I've got the cash in my pocket. We also trimmed, um, this week we trimmed Teradyne, AMAT, and Palo Alto. Didn't sell them all. Great companies. But they got run up so much too that they became overweight positions. So just for the sake of prudent portfolio management, we trimmed those. And then as you know, I added to IBM for portfolios where they were underweight this morning and added to Seagate also. Seagate had great numbers last night. Stock was down almost 7% this morning, so I took an opportunity and just put a tiny bit of cash in. Um, but mostly I'm sitting on the cash from the sell of Han and Armstrong and the trims of the chip stocks in our growth portfolio. I uh,
0: And you. we'll wait.
6: And like we discussed earlier, it's going to be a funky market. We're going to have opportunities, and I can't wait for them. Okay. But they're not today.
2: All right. Lastly, Degas, you launched the Decatur U.S. Quality Dividend Strategy, uh, holdings including ABV. Uh, CoreSight Realty, General Mills, Cat, Bristol Myers, talk to me. Yes.
5: So Scott, you know, and this is, I know, Jenny can relate to this very well. Uh, what the clients really are looking for, we had some clients come to us and say, well, we really want to get yield and we want to have some exposure to the market. So what we started looking at is how can we construct a portfolio to meet those needs? Because as you know, we really can't get yield from fixed income. And so as clients start looking to generate that income, we say, let's put together a a quality, and the quality is around profitability. And so we really look at those companies that are profitable, but also companies that have a long, stable earnings where they can cover that dividend. And so we're looking at about a 45% dividend yield on about 35 companies. And so those are the companies that we hold within the overall portfolio to really meet that client need that has that income requirement, but with a quality and also lower volatility to the general market.
2: Okay. Good stuff. Good for you. All right. Up next, we're going to hit those three big calls on Ford, Disney, and Walmart. We may also hear from the new National Economic Council director. If we do, we'll take you to the White House for that. We're back in two minutes.
7: B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain.
2: We're back. Rahel Solomon joining us now with those three big calls on the street today. Hi, Rahel.
9: Hi, Scott. So let's start with one of the best performing stocks in the S&P 500 so far this year. That would be Ford. JP Morgan upgrading the stock to overweight from neutral on mostly a strong product lineup, including the F-150. Analysts expect that to be a strong profit driver, Scott, when assembly lines return to full speed. Ford, by the way, one of Jim Cramer's favorite stock picks of 2021. Disney, which you might remember we noted yesterday, could be poised for a major bounce back in earnings getting an upgrade at UBS, so the price target goes to 200 bucks from 155 UBS bullish on the company's outperformance in DTC and the eventual recovery to the park side of the business. Stock, meantime, still sitting about 5% from recent highs. And Walmart, also about 5% from recent highs, as Jeffries names the retailer a top pick for 2021. Price target here, also $200. The note essentially saying, Scott, that the retailer benefits from its physical stores and that Walmart's investments in digital and omni-channel offer strong margins. They also like the potential TikTok partnership.
2: Okay, good stuff. Rahel, thank you. Good weekend to you. We'll see you next week. All right, let's talk about some of these. Now, Jim, we know you own GM, right? Um, and you still like yes. it better than Ford. Yeah?
1: yes. Yes and the reason the reason for that is very simple it's the cruise division which is their autonomous vehicle division that i think gives a little secret sauce uh... to general motors by the way scott thank you for the nice comments earlier this week i did catch that and i appreciate it uh... back to the point though it's not just gm it's Ford. its volkswagen they are all coming out with a slew of electric vehicles so i know the tesla cult fanatics are going to be all over me on this but i want you to consider something When Tesla comes out with one model, it's a big deal. Those three companies are going to come out with 100 models over the next couple of years. You want an electric Mustang? You got it. You want an electric Hummer? You got it. You want an electric Escalade? You got it. The the Tesla story is the wrong story. Competition is here right now. They're both good picks. I like General Motors better.
2: All right. I know you own Disney. Jenny owns Disney. Shan, you own Disney, too. I'm coming to you.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think this calls all that radical, right? Uh, good, D, good DTC and improvement of parks. Yeah, um, the, a little, the little late as they say Disney was. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be overly harsh, but or punitive. But I think the trajectory for I'm Disney here, has Shane. been. That's you know, why why I'm
4: here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you don't you, you. I mean, you bought so you bought this <laughs> several years ago I, for a dividend, right? You bought this because they had great park revenue, the brand, it was free cash flow. This is a change in the investor for Disney, and I think that's an important point here. If you want to look forward, why you're buying Disney today is you're buying it for streaming, you're buying it for DTC, you're buying it for content. You know what's great about this company though? They still have a great brand, and they still have an embedded parks business that is going to continue to deliver a very differentiated customer experience. This is just a blip. This is a great long-term stock. If you're not in it today, you should be in it for the long term because it's going to be a great holding for you to have discretionary exposure when we go back to lifestyle spend and you get a nice kicker from content.
2: Jimmy, back to you quickly on Walmart.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's got a lot of things going for it that hell listed, but I didn't hear her say is that $1,400 stimulus checks are going to have to find a home, and they're likely to find a home in Walmart's cash registers. This is just an easy, steady Eddie for the next couple of years.
2: Okay, up next, we're getting you ready for the busiest week of earnings season yet, including 13 Dow components. We've got the trades from the Investment Committee. There is the wall. A bunch of household names on it. We'll talk about them next. Welcome back. Uh, We are going to talk about earnings next week, though. I I do want to call your attention to shares of GameStop, though, which uh, were halted up 69 percent. From my screen here, the stock has reopened and it's up 63 percent. There it is, up uh, better than 64 percent. So, you know, Steve Weiss, we haven't really covered this at all uh, on this program. But maybe now is the time to just get a comment from you, because I'm getting bombarded on on Twitter from people who want to hear what we think about it. Not we, you. what do you make of what's going on here, this battle uh, between, I don't know, longs and shorts? Wow.
3: Well, th- I've known this company for a long time. Uh, I had no position in it, have had no position in it. If I did have a position in it and the short interest weren't the highest short interest on the exchange, I'd be shorted. This company sells or their business model was selling games in physical locations. They've tried to... To move away from that, they have slightly, but it doesn't, doesn't justify this. So to me, this is pure momentum chasing in a short covering story. Sure. It makes no sense. There's no fundamental reason to be here. So it's going to end badly for these people. I think they can outguess those that are coming into it and keep buying it. It's I mean, ridiculous.
2: C- Citron and you know, Andrew left. You know, th- those guys think it's you know, going to 20. But you would actually be short? This name in 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 this kind of trading environment, in a, in a name like that? I mean, th- there are a lot of shorts no, no, we are, are getting trampled.
3: No, th- thanks for asking me. I, I would not be short. Where where companies have a short interest that you can't borrow it anymore, I just don't get short because you have short coverings like this. Um, I own a stock, Musix, where a large part of the float is short, and it's ridiculous because... They keep coming out with great, great announcements. They pre-announce. It's a phenomenal story. So you want to own something like that that's got the fundamental story under it in heavy short interest. You don't want to own something like this. But no, I wouldn't short it. I don't short battleground stocks yeah,
2: like yeah. Maybe yeah, it, maybe it just speaks to the environment. We're, we're in a, a, a mm-hmm. new class of investors that have come in during the pandemic, driving a lot of the action here, uh, but it did hit another new 52-week high today of 72.88. Briefly halted, and then you can see it's reopened, and it's still, it's still surging. All right, I just wanted to get that out of the way because people are asking about it, and I, I wanted to see what the, uh, the opinion was. So we'll, we'll continue to look at that. All right, we do have a big earnings week ahead. More than 100 S&P companies, 13 Dow components are all set to report. Uh, you know, the biggies, okay, Apple reports. I don't know that we need to get any commentary uh, ahead of that. You do have American Express, Jenny. You've got Verizon, Chevron, uh, Facebook, Take a pick. One of this. What stock do you want to talk about after that list? Uh, out of the list.
6: Um, I think it's better to talk about all of them because I think what's interesting about this earnings season is that the pace is normal. And that the information coming out of all of these companies is roughly what we expect. Nothing's on fire. Nothing's burning down. Maybe if I had to say something unique, it would be on American Express, where that one really could show some positive upside, because you have the consumer really returning. You have the small businesses returning. Things are getting better. And the expectations there, I think, are still relatively weak compared to what what reality is setting in. So American Express could have a really wonderful quarter next week, but mostly the pace is normal. Again, the commentary is what's expected. And that's a big deal for normalizing this market and not having the insanity that we've experienced over the past 12 months.
2: Degas, give me a thought quickly on Chevron, right? I know, Jenny, you own it, too, but it, it just comes, as Mark Fisher told us this mm-hmm. week, that, in his words, the easy money has been made, at least in oil futures, but that the, uh, the equities could continue to do, to do well. You, right. you still have high expectations, Degas, for, for Chevron?
5: I do. And the reason why we have high expectations for Chevron, we start looking at you know, what of the energy companies, particularly the, the historical legacy fossil fuel companies, what are they doing towards their transition plan? As we dug into the corporate social responsibility report for Chevron, we saw a very consistent, very strongly stated transition plan, how they're going to move from fossil fuel to the renewable energy. And so that's why we really like Chevron among the energy
2: companies. All right. Still have more trades ahead. We will come back and do that. A reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back on the half of two minutes. It's time now for your futures outlook week ahead, focused on the Fed meeting and its favorite inflation gauge. Bill Baruch joining us now to set you up, Bill.
10: Thanks, Judge. I was on here in October and November, calling for 10-year yields to rise to one and a quarter percent. We basically got there. Now I'm looking at next week. The Federal Reserve concludes a two-day policy meeting on Wednesday, and the preferred inflation indicator, the PCE, is out on Friday. Now I do think inflation starts to show up this year, and I do think the Federal Reserve is thinking about tapering bonds at the end of the year. Will we hear that discussion re-emerge on Wednesday? Now, as well, I think they're okay seeing the belly of the yield curve rise a little bit and keep the shorter end suppressed. That means 10 year yields can rise. We don't trade the yields, though. We trade prices. The prices are the inverse of the yields, and they trade in half ticks. There's 32 full ticks in a point, and each point is $1,000. Looking at the chart real quick, I do think that after selling off sharply in January, we then had a sideways consolidation, and we're due for one more flush. Now, I'm looking at playing it by using the March 10-year futures, selling at $137, and stop up at 138 risking risking $1,000. My downside target is $134.5 and a $2,500
2: profit. All right. We'll see what it does. We'll talk to you next week after the Fed meeting. Coming up next, Final Trades. Okay, Final Trades in just a moment. Back to the wall we go, though, because Wednesday it is Apple, among others. Jim Labenthal, you wanted to talk about this. Tell me.
1: Well, listen, we haven't been talking about it, Scott. Have you noticed that? I mean, I feel like uh, when we were going through the earnings uh, rundown, we kind of glossed over it, and that's how people have been thinking about it. But it is quietly set up. It's 1% away from an all-time high. It wants to take out that high, and it should. We look for an update on how iPhone sales were in the holiday season, and we look for an update on how many shares they've bought back. On average, they've been reducing share count by 6% per annum, Um, I think this thing takes out 140 and gets to 145 in about the next two weeks.
2: You had this trading position on top of another, you know, a longer term position that you had, right? You had recently bought Apple shares for that trading position and then you sold them, right? I'm wondering why why, you would do that if you think the stock is going to take out 140.
1: Yeah so first off, I've always maintained a core position in it for years. I have a five percent position in it right now, which is a pretty good size. I mean, I'm 88 percent invested in the markets right now. I just I'm not in a buying mood right now, and it's as simple as that. That is sentiment. That's investor sentiment right there. Right now, I don't want to buy anything. My five percent position I'll let that run to 145. I, I hear
2: you, but you had already bought it, but you, you're, you're in a seller, you're in a seller mood on it that, that's my point
1: Fine. right let me let's make sure we're clear on this i own a five percent position in apple right now
2: i know that i'm talking about the trading position okay okay
1: steve weiss you had apple puts
3: yeah they were just protection coming to this week the protection worked sooner than i expected which was last thursday and friday so they were near term i just got out of them as i did of all my protection
2: okay we got to be real quick on final trades weiss give me one please
3: vuzix v-u-z-i
2: okay jim apple what is your final trade okay jenny
6: ibm sticking my finger in weiss's eye
3: <laughs> shan it <laughs> hasn't worked out jenny
6: j-, j and j love healthcare here
3: <laughs> okay
2: and uh, digas kla all right kla 10 core all right. Let's show you the, uh, the Dow again. The uh, Dow's down right about 91 points or so right now. Hope everybody has a great weekend. Thanks so very much for watching our program today. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern only on CNBC.